0: It is not unusual for us to make some mistakes when it comes to the Psalms. One mistake we make is that if we're reading a scripture song that we've known for many years, we don't really hear it. This is the case with Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. If you know that, sing it with me. Ready? Unto thee, O
1: Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto Thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul, O my God? I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph
0: over me. And there's a couple more verses in there, but I've been singing that. Well, the first time I remember singing that song, I grew up in Patterson Baptist Church over here in Patterson, New York. And, uh, I just remember one day, I don't know, I guess I was nine or 10 years old that they announced that, uh, this Friday night, there's going to be young People's. Oh, I'd never heard of young peoples before. And, uh, a lady in our Church named Ruth Austin, who is, if you those of you who know who Shirley Smith is, who runs a uh, ministry for children that we support, uh, it's it was it's Shirley Smith's sister, Ruth Austin, and so she was going to run young people's, and like I said, I was about nine or ten years old, and and I went and uh, I. Two things I remember about that meeting, I don't remember how, the, how many there were. In my mind, it was, it was all one, but there was probably more than one. Number one, I remember that she used a yield sign, a full-size yield sign, as an illustration and uh, about yielding to God and His Holy Spirit. The other thing I remember is that we sang this song I don't remember ever having heard it before then. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So let's say I was 10 years old. That means I've been singing this song for over 40 years. And so when you, when you, how many have sung this song for a very long time? Raise your hand. Okay, so when you see it, when you open your Bible and, oh, today's Psalm 25 is one of the things I'm going to be reading. It's so easy just to, almost as you read it in your mind, you're, you're hearing the tune. hmm. And for that reason, you don't really see the words. Another mistake we make when we read the Psalms, if we're not careful, is that we assume, because there are a lot of similarities and many of them were penned by the same man, David, we assume that they're all the same. Oh, all the Psalms are pretty much the same. They are not. And it would help you to take the time to really examine what is going on in this psalm. For starters, pay attention to whom the psalmist is talking. In this very psalm, he begins in the first seven verses, he's talking to God, and then starting in verse 8, he's talking about God. Well, don't miss that distinction. And so... That's, a, that's one place to start of understanding what's going on. See the changes as you go through. Another thing to notice as you read any given psalm is to notice the tone. Okay? For example, in some psalms, it begins out praising the Lord, and then very soon, it turns very sad. And you can feel the heaviness of the psalmist. And what I prefer to do when I'm reading a psalm is before I look at the, the ultimate, in my opinion, the ultimate commentary on the book of Psalms is a book called The Treasury of David. And actually, it's not a book. It's, it's a couple of volumes written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. One reason that The Treasury of David is the ultimate commentary in a lot of people's opinion on the book of Psalms is that he not only writes his thoughts on every psalm, but he has read other commentators, and he names them and writes what they said about it about this particular psalm, this line, and so forth. And so it's sort of the ultimate collection. But before I go to the treasury of David, I want to see what I'm seeing in there, and I may read the psalm that one psalm three, four, five, six, seven times before I even begin. To make an assessment of what it's telling me. Here's what I want to urge you to do, though. I'm not asking you to become a Bible scholar, but listen get to know individual Psalms and learn when to run to those Psalms. You will find some favorites, you will find some Psalms where you take refuge. Where they are perfect for the occasion. I remember on 9 11, they asked me, the the Putnam Hospital, they asked me, I had some uh, connections with them, and so they called me and they, they asked me if I would come to the hospital the day after, Wednesday morning. And I couldn't believe they were doing this. They were gonna call, they were gonna invite the entire hospital staff if they wanted to to come down to the lobby and they asked me to just speak to them because you remember how everyone was just so shaken up we didn't we didn't know what what was going on and uh, so I went down there and I I prayed about what I should say but among the other things that I said the first thing that I did was I read to them Psalm 27 because Psalm 27 was it's it has it's one. One of the Psalms that talks about when my enemies rise up against me, and it's very comforting. And uh, I mentioned this, I've mentioned it before, that just with this second hospital stay, the night that uh, the surgeon came in late in the afternoon and uh, he gave me my options and he didn't say we have to take. My first amputation in 2010, they said, we have to take half of your foot or you will die. But this time, that was not the case. They, actually, they didn't tell me I would die. They told my wife, and they made it seem uh, – they, they sort of covered up that information to me. But anyway, they um, – this time, the surgeon said – he said, I can, I can just help you survive for a few years. You know, I'll keep working on your foot, and you can keep your foot. He said, or you can make the choice to have me take your foot and we had already pretty much decided that if they if if they brought up that option that i was going to take it nevertheless you know how it is it's kind of it's different when they actually say it when you actually understand oh he's recommending that they take my foot then uh, it's a different it's a different thing that night even though i had already made up my mind and even though i had already spent some time praying about it it was a long night because i realized there's no turning back after after tomorrow. And so uh, I was supposed to give my answer at 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I didn't sleep for a good part of the night. But all night long, I don't know why, all night long, the Lord gave me Psalm twenty seven one. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, I'm not patting myself on the back. This is my job. It's what I get paid for. So it doesn't make me any great Christian. But I thank God that I didn't have to go looking for that. It was already in my heart. And I I wouldn't be surprised if I quoted that verse way into the hundreds of times that night, over and over again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm saying to you, get to know individual psalms and know when to run to them. Know when... When I need to trust the Lord more, what Psalm is good for that? When I feel lonely, what Psalm is good for that? Know that, read it. I don't mean you have to memorize that Psalm, but be familiar enough that you can run there. You can open your Bible. You can take refuge in that in that Psalm. Excuse me. If you do not have a personal relationship with passages in the Bible where you feel like That one's mine. If you do not have that kind of relationship with passages of Scripture, you will not make it spiritually. God wants you to, can I share, I didn't intend to go here. We're going to look at Psalm 25 in a moment, and I'm not going to be very long, but can I share something with you that just blew me away? I had three or four days in a row, I think it was this past week, where I just got stuck in Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is maybe the ultimate messianic psalm. If you read it, you, if you read it and you know the story of the crucifixion of Christ, you'll see again and again not only words that Jesus spoke, but also things that the crowd spoke at Jesus' crucifixion that are prophesied in Psalm 22, and descriptions that are made of the crucifixion. Psalm 22, in my opinion, and if there's another, I I, I I guess I haven't noticed it yet as much, but Psalm 22, the ultimate messianic psalm. Expe- I just said, especially. Come up here and smack me, would you please? I said, um, especially. Especially psalms about the crucifixion of Christ. But here's what never, ever hit me until just the other day. Psalm 22 begins my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I guess I'd always looked at that as clearly David, through the Holy Spirit, prophesying what Jesus would say when he was on the cross. But what, never, what I never saw before is that Jesus memorized that scripture. And on the cross, he was quoting what was in his heart to get him through. Yes, he was crying out to his father, but it certainly wasn't coincidental that he was word for word saying what Psalm 22 once said. He was quoting what was in his heart. And I say to you, learn the scriptures, especially Psalms, that are there for you for specific situations and when you get in those situations run to those psalms and call out to the Lord in the words that he has provided for you with all your heart. Let's look quickly look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25 first of all verses 1 through 7. David waits On the Lord. In this in this passage, clearly, David is under attack. He talks about his enemies. And he starts out, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? This is something more passionate than Lord, I'm gonna say my prayers. He says, I lift up my soul. Have you ever been in such a desperate situation? that you just lift up your soul to the Lord. David lifts up, he, he pours, I, I think of Hannah here, who poured out her soul to the Lord because she, she had struggled all those years and now she just, she's not holding back. David said, I'm not holding back. I lift up my soul to you. He says in verses two and three, Lord, I, I, I trust in you. All my trust is in you. Let me not be ashamed. Can I put that in our word, in our terms? I'm trusting you. Don't let me down. I'm trusting you. Don't let me look foolish. Don't let me look stupid. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Don't let them win. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Understand. This is not David saying, I better better have a talk with God so he doesn't start letting people be embarrassed. No. This is a prayer that is confirming what God already does. David knows God doesn't let his people down. But have you ever been there? Sometimes you just need to say it (laughs) Lord, I know you're not going to let me down, but please don't let me down. Let me not be ashamed. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. The the people that are causing trouble for no reason, let them be the ones that get embarrassed. That's what he's saying here. Then I want you to notice what it looks like for somebody, what it sounds like when somebody's waiting on the Lord. Verse 4, show me, teach me. Verse 5, lead me, teach me. On thee do I wait. When you're waiting on the Lord, you're simply saying to the Lord, show me, teach me. I need you to show me the way. I need you to teach me. Oh, God. But I, most believers, I'm afraid, we have no idea what it means to really rely on the Lord. You're not going to rely on the Lord without periods and seasons of constant communication and constant pleading. Show me. Teach me. Help me. So verses 1 through 7, David waits on the Lord. But then notice, as I mentioned before, a shift in verses 8 through 15. David extols God's goodness. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide and judge. What are you saying? If you read on down, and we read it already, God's such a good God. He's so good. To people who seek him, but I want you to notice this throughout the psalm. In verse seven, in verse eight, verse eleven, and verse eighteen, he admits. Now nah, I'm 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 a sinner. I've sinned. I make mistakes. I goof up. I sin against you. Look at verse eight. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Verse eight. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Do you think he's not referring to himself? Of course he is. Verse eleven. Pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Verse 18, look upon mine affliction and my pain, forgive all my sins. David's not claiming, Oh God, you got to help me because I've been so good. You be careful about praying that prayer. He said, Oh God, I lift up my soul to you and I trust you and I'm begging you to help me, to lead me, to guide me, to protect me. Forgive my sins. I haven't been perfect. I am weak. I am flesh. But he makes his case based on the goodness of God and the absolute wickedness of his enemies. David extols God's goodness. And then he closes, verses 16 through 22. David pleads for deliverance. Turn turn thee unto me. Have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted the troubles of my heart are enlarged oh bring me out of my distresses and he goes on and says god please deliver me deliver me you'd you'd be if you if you read a lot of the psalms in, in a close amount of time you would be impressed of by the fact of how much david asks for god's deliverance let me just put a scenario quickly in your head and we will close When two people have a conflict, whose corner is God in? So you know my wife and I, this is a this is a hypothetical example. My wife and I really haven't been getting along. We've been going at each other, we're both Christians. Whose corner is God in? The answer is He's in both your corners if you'll both turn to him. God doesn't pick sides between his children. Now, if we're talking about his children versus the wicked, you know, he's going to be in the corner of his child as long as they're proceeding in righteousness. But in the case of two believers having a conflict, God doesn't take sides. God sides with whichever, and if it's both of them, it's both of them seek him. God help me. Yeah, wait, wait a second, but if they're having a conflict, one of them's right and one of them's wrong. Yes, theoretically yes, but God knows who's wrong and God knows who, how to help the one who is wrong, how to coach them into not being wrong anymore. It's not my job to decide whether God is on my side or on the other guy's side. It's my job to make sure unto thee, O oh Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I trust in thee. No matter what else anybody else does, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemy over there in that other corner, let not him triumph over me. Now, David clearly in this psalm firmly believed that his enemy was not going to have God on his side. Firmly believed that his enemy was wicked. But what the point I'm making is don't, don't try to figure out whose side God is on. Just make sure that you are relying on the Lord. Call out to him. Plead for his mercy. Confess your sin. Trust in him. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Seek him. Trust his deliverance. Let's Let's finish this message out by singing together Psalm 25. And if you know, there's three different verses. If you know them, we'll sing them together. If while we're singing, you want to take a moment with the Lord at the altar, you feel free to do that. Stay there as long as you like. But let's sing this together to close out tonight. Ready?
1: Unto the O
0: Lord,
1: do I lift up my soul, up my soul. unto the O Lord. Do I lift up my soul, O my God? I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that way on Thee be ashamed. Yea, let none that way on thee be ashamed O my God I trust in thee Let me not be ashamed Let not mine enemies triumph over me Show me thy ways Thy ways, O Lord Teach me thy path thy paths, O Lord, Lord. O my God. God. I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. ashamed. Triumph, O